The reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Great. So this, um, I suppose, the title, or, or really the theme tune for this, for this talk today, is, is How to Speak the Truth in Love. How to Speak the Truth in Love. And I think there are three principles um, that I'm just going to lay out um, to you this morning uh, and just get the ball rolling, really. There's, I think they're capable of so much more thought and, and practice, but um, certainly we'll, we'll get them going anyway today. So how to, how to Speak the Truth in Love. And there are three principles um, that we'll see here. Uh, number one, build up, don't tear down. The second principle is be humble before you start helping. And the third principle is use discernment as you dialogue. Okay? Build up, don't tear down. Where does this come from? Well, it comes from our verses today, verse one. Judge not, it says, uh, that you will not be judged. That's the principle. Um, but, but Jesus here, and we'll see this as, as we go through, but Jesus here is not sort of forbidding, making any judgments of any kind um, or, or, or saying that wrong is wrong and right is right. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying avoid that, but it's a certain type of judgment, a certain kind of what we might describe as judgmentalism uh, that Jesus is, is forbidding here. Um, we get that from verses 3 and 4, for example. It says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is, no log in, when there is a log in your own eye? Um, it's that kind of judgment that, that Jesus is, is forbidding. Uh, Jesus later on, we'll see, he shows us how to judge wisely. You know, so judgment is important. So he's not teaching against judgment in general, which is essential for a healthy Church, he's, he's teaching against judgmentalism. Um, how, do we, how do we describe judgmentalism from, from these verses so we know what we're talking about as we, as we go through? Um, judgmentalism uh, seems to be the kind of judgment that, that majors on another person's speck, you know, um, another person's flaws. It majors on that. The kind of judgment, judgmentalism that comes from a, a critical spirit. Um, the kind of judgmentalism that's sort of fault-finding, you know? People who are sort of judgy, they're, they're cold, they're sort of hard, they're merciless in how they approach uh, the flaws they see or think they can see in another person. This sort of loveless kind of judgment, this sense of moral superiority that they have. This is the sort of thing that Jesus is forbidding here in these verses. Um, all they can see is the speck, they miss the log in their own eyes. This is the kind of judgment, this judgmentalism that Jesus is forbidding from the church. Um, why, why does this develop, do you think? Where, where does this come from? 
Um, and, and I think may, maybe there's two, two reasons. I think first, firstly, it could just be a misguided you know, attempt to follow what Jesus has been saying. You know, he's already been saying here um, in chapter 5, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, so there's this call to perfection. You know, or he says earlier on, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, so, so, so it could well be that overzealous but yet mistaken uh, people uh, think that they're trying to, you know, um, do really well and ap- apply these teachings, and um, uh, and that's maybe where this sort of judgmentalism comes from. They sort of become overzealous and and sort of super Pharisees. Um, that could be it. Um, but I think there's a deeper reason as well why this sort of thing starts to flourish uh, within the church. Um, you can see in verse 5, for example, Jesus, after describing the kind of judgment um, that he is forbidding within the church, he, he, he says, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Um, the, the, the Greek word behind this, hypocr- this word hypocrite that we use you know, quite frequently, I suppose, um, it referred to or came from um, so, uh, um, somebody in ancient sort of Greek uh, um, culture who, who would be an actor, you know, so playing the line, giving the lines. Um, someone uh, who, 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 who you know, was just sort of projecting something that wasn't really them, and that's, that's where the word comes from. Uh, hypocrites, and, 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 and yet in this context, in the religious context, in the Bible context, a hypocrite is somebody who plays the righteous person, you know, somebody who, who's acting a certain way um, to appear before uh, other people, but they, that doesn't represent their real heart. That's what a hypocrite is. Um, a hypocrite's a phony, you know. And so in the context that we're talking about here in judgmentalism, this is somebody who obsesses over the speck in someone's eye, uh, which is relatively small, I suppose, and yet they do not notice the log in their own eye. Why are people like this? Why do people do this, do you think? Um, I think that when, when we point to the speck in someone else's eye, what we're doing is we're highlighting someone else's faults, aren't we? Uh, we're highlighting what we think is bad about them. But in so doing, what we are doing is raising our own sense of self-righteousness at the expense of someone else. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. This is what he is forbidding in the church. Um, a judgmental person is somebody who raises themselves up in the eyes of others whilst putting someone down at the same time. They build themselves up while tearing someone down. That's the sort of judgmentalism that Jesus is forbidding. And the context here, of course, in these, these verses that we're reading together, um, is, the, is, is in the community of disciples, right? It's, it's in the church. And so, so Jesus is very much targeting uh, this sort of judgmentalism that happens on a, an interpersonal level, you know, between people, uh, ones and twos and things like that. Um, but we could also, I uh, suppose, legitimately apply this and say, well, judgmentalism, as it grows, um, it, can, it can get bigger and bigger and bigger and involve more and more people. This sort of sense of superiority and self-righteousness can extend beyond the interpersonal. It can multiply, it can systematize where an entire group of people starts to rise up and, and think that they are superior to others. And for example, if, if this continues, it can lead into, let's say, full-blown racism, you know, where we, this particular type of people, this particular group, are more superior to this other group. That's where this all begins. And we can apply this also to sexism, for example. 
you know, gen gender wars, classism. We, we from this class within society are better than you people in this class over here. And particularly in our context here, um, another application, I suppose, um, of this judgmentalism is sectarianism. You know, where me and my people, we are superior than you and your people. And all these evils, no matter what form it takes, all begin here with this problem of judgmentalism. And Jesus condemns it. God hates it. He's against it. And Jesus says here himself in verse 2, how you behave to other people, how you judge another person, that is how God will judge you. There's this direct link, you see, between how you are, how you behave, and how God treats you. And so if you judge someone, or people, or a group of people, or a type of people, or whatever, without mercy, if you judge them in a loveless way, if you're stingy, if you're mean-spirited, if you're unforgiving, that is how God will respond to you. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 2. You would judge with no mercy, you will receive no mercy. And if you behave like this, says Jesus, then you set yourself up against God. And God will, as, as we see elsewhere in Scripture, he will defend those that you marginalize. He will vindicate those that you unfairly trash. God sees it all. He sees your heart. He, he knows your motivations. He sees your intentions. He knows what you're really thinking. And God, God, as we sing in other songs, he's the righteous judge. God is the, the definition of truth and goodness. And we might be able to artificially raise ourselves up in the eyes of other people by condemning this and that speck. But God is not so easily thrown off. I wonder, um, do you think that the church in general, capital C, the church is judgmental? Um, it's, it's a fairly common critique, isn't it? The church, I don't go to, the church is judgmental. It's this impression that's often given, isn't it, of, of church Christians, that they're judgmental. I was at work um, not that long ago, a couple of weeks ago, actually, and I was talking to a colleague, a woman in her 20s, and she told me that she used to attend church, um, but the reason that she stopped going was because it was judgy. And I've never been to her church, so I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that was a fair assessment. But, you know, for people to say in general that the church is judgmental, is that a fair assessment? Are they, are they right in what they say? Is the church across the board as an institution judgmental? And I would say sometimes yes and sometimes no. I think it's both and. Yes, um, I think some people... Uh, have, have, have people or churches or whatever uh, been judgmental as we've been describing? Yes, they have. Uh, have people who call themselves Christians uh, and the churches they represent been mean-spirited and condemnatory and cold and aloof towards others outside the church? Yes, they have. Have, 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 have some within the church adopted this log and speck approach, you know, pointing out the specks uh, the speck whilst covering up major problems like institutional abuse and immoral leaders and corruption and, and compromise. Yes, that has happened. Have people been dismissed? Have they been treated cruelly? Have they been dismissed over issues such as sexuality or gender or class or status or culture? Yes, they have. So yes, the church can be and has been judgmental, guilty as charged. But also, I would argue, no, the church 
isn't judgmental all the time. Um, the, the, the church can be criticized as being judgmental, but it's not always being judgmental when people hear Christians say what God has said. Um, if, if, if people hear that, you know, for example, preachers and just general Christians in general, uh, saying what is in the Bible, saying what God has said, saying what's been in the Bible for thousands of years, there's nothing new there. But that can sometimes be interpreted as being judgmental. Um, and and let's, let's think that through for a second. I, I, one of the core beliefs, I suppose, in the Christian faith and the biblical faith is the belief that we as people are, we're not right. We're sinful. We're fallen. And, and we are guilty before a holy God who has created us to live for him, and yet we've offended him. And as such, the Bible teaches, we are under his just anger and his judgment against us. That's something that all Christians believe, should believe and have done from the start. God offers, of course, salvation. He offers forgiveness. And yet it is possible for outsiders, I suppose, to hear God's assessment of ourselves and to hate it. And so when God speaks, when he tells us that we are wrong, he tells us that we are condemned, and no one likes to hear that. I don't like to hear that. No one likes to hear they're wrong, especially, I think, in today's culture. We're just not used to being told that we are wrong about something. We say, who are you to tell me how to live and how to behave and what I can and cannot do? You're being judgmental. You've got to celebrate me, no matter what my choices are. I don't care if you believe them or agree with them or not. And so where we hear the voice of God saying that what we are doing is wrong we can dismiss that or interpret that as the church being judgmental because it's going against what I want to be or what I want to do but I would argue that's not judgmentalism that's the message of the bible it's bad news for all of us in fact it's a lot worse than if you feel like you're being judged because God is saying something or you think judgmental, you, you, you Christians are judgmental. Actually, I would argue that, that your situation before God is a lot worse than you actually realize. Because the Bible is clear, and Christians have, have taught from the time of Jesus onwards, that left on our own, we are under the judgment of God. That's the bad news, and yet there is good news. Because of Jesus, you're more loved than you could ever have hoped. So that's the first principle. When it comes to speaking the truth in love, it's about building up, not tearing down. The second principle then when it comes to um, speaking the truth in love from, from this text is that, that we should be humble before helping. Be humble before helping. We've recognized the problem of judgmentalism, but what do we do about it? Especially if you start to recognize it in yourself in some form. How do, we, how do we speak the truth constructively and not destructively? If you find yourself in a, the log and spec situation, no matter which side of the agenda you're on, um, there are some action steps that Jesus gives us here in verse 5. How to be humble before helping. He says in verse 5, effectively, stop being a hypocrite. 
That's your, that's your action step. Stop being a hypocrite, he says. First, he says, be humble. First, he says, take the log out of your own eye. In other words, look at yourself first before you start fumbling around and, and, and you know, trying to deal with someone else's speck. Examine yourself, says Jesus. Come before God. You know, uh, allow him to speak to you. Humble yourself under his words. Let his word examine you. Deal with what that shows first. Because as Jesus says, otherwise, if you don't do that, you won't see clearly. You'll only cause damage. If you just jump that step, if you, if you just fire on in. I just remember from my, my time in medical school, learning um, about op- ophthalmology. You know, the, uh, the, the surgery of the eye to try and restore and improve vision and visual problems. And uh, you're, you're dealing with, you know, one of the most sensitive um, parts of the body. And, and, and the work is incredibly uh, small. It's very minute. Uh, the little um, stitches that they use are tiny. The little blades that they use, if you've got a cataract or something like that, are, you know, so thin. They, they wear these, um, almost, they're called loops, but they're sort of telescope things that, you know, they put on their glasses so they can see in great detail what they're doing. It's incredibly detailed work. And you can just imagine maybe somebody coming in with sort of, yeah, you know, a, a blockage, uh, some, 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 something in their way, you know, uh, a mask on or something when they're trying to do this type of surgery. They'll make an absolute horlicks from it. You could probably blind someone and goodness knows where the scalpel will end up and it will just be a disaster. We don't do that. But Jesus is saying if we don't deal with our hearts first, if we don't examine ourselves first, we will make a total botch up. Look at yourself first. That's, that's the first step to stopping being a hypocrite, says Jesus. And then the second step is then, when you've done that, then you can clearly see and deal with the speck in your brother or sister's eyes. So, so it's not that we're, we're to avoid helping one another and avoid identifying and working with uh, another brother or sister's sin and you know, issue and fault or weakness or whatever it is. Jesus is saying, no, 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 you, you, you can help other people meaningfully. And you must help them, and you're called to help them. That's what defines us as, as the church. It's what Jesus wants us to behave like. It's part of being a healthy community of disciples. But we are called first to be humble before we help. It's what life together is all about, isn't it? It's helping one another grow as disciples. It's, it's, it's being part of a community that brings God's word to individual circumstances and individual lives. And we model that by example and we speak God's word to each other and we do all we can, all it takes to help each other grow, to become consistent disciples of Jesus. But if we bypass the humility, we just wade in like hypocrites and we start addressing the speck before we've dealt with the log. Humility says it's not me standing over you in judgment. Instead, humility says it's me coming alongside you as a fellow sinner saved by God's amazing grace. Uh, Jesus later on uh, teaches uh, what we've come to understand it or come to call it as the golden rule um, in Matthew 7. A few verses time can come up on the screen. Um, it says this. Uh, So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's the golden rule. Sometimes it's said, you know, do unto others as you would have them do to you. 
The idea is that we are to treat others in the way that we would be treated, whether they treat us like that or not, right? We want the best for people. Um, we want to go the extra mile for people. And yet that only works. That, that, that golden rule only works when you're humble. You can't do that when you're a hypocrite. It's impossible to follow the golden rule with a log in your eye. Be humble before helping. Yes, point out faults. Yes, uh, you know, refer to glitches uh, that you can see, but do that in love. But the golden rule pushes us further still, doesn't it? Um, it goes beyond the simple naming and telling and you know, fault-finding. Um, building up, yes, it's helping each other with their faults, but it's also helping them to build up in strength. Okay, so if a person feels torn down after you've gone to them and told them your truth, you simply haven't done it right. And we've been seeing this sort of principle throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We see it here too. It's not just enough to point out someone's sins and faults and walk away. Uh, Jesus teaches we must actively seek out ways to strengthen our fellow brothers and sisters, to, to build them up, to encourage them. So we've only done half a job if we come and list out the problems. We build up, we don't tear down. Um, it's kind of summarized in, in uh, you know, I'm a bit of a fan of the Heidelberg Catechism. Occasionally we talk about that. It's been very helpful, actually, through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and uh, we're going to see that here in a second as well. The Heidelberg Catechism asks the question, what is required in the Ninth Commandment? The Ninth Commandment of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not lie. So it's trying to sort of express and open up what that means. And I'll read it out to you. It says, I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, not condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather... I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. There's a lot of words in there. But what they seek to do is to show that it's not just enough to, to point out sins and faults. We're to actively strengthen as it says there at the end to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation that's what we're supposed to be doing not go around and say have you seen that speck in his eye have you seen that thing that she does no we're to defend and promote our neighbor's honor and reputation humility i think is a virtue isn't it that, that most people can agree on as a good thing uh, whether inside the church or outside the church. But to be humble is not just a decision that we can make. I'm going to be humble today. You know, it's not just a switch that can be flicked in, in your own heart and mind. That's not how it works. So how do you become humble? Because it's obviously key to avoiding this sin that Jesus is talking about, of judgmentalism. Jesus doesn't say here, how do we be humble he just expects it from his people. It's not natural for people to, to be humble, actually. Um, it's not natural for us to prefer others more than ourselves. That's not how it is. We, we have this inbuilt desire to push others down in order to serve ourselves and build ourselves up. So, so how do we get that? How do we be humble? We, because I think we've all done this. In some way or other, maybe some of us are worse at this than others in terms of we, we do it more consistently. But we've all done this. We've all looked down 
at other people. We've all probably intentionally misrepresented someone else's position to make ourselves look better than we really are. You know, we've focused on someone else's speck to sort of hide the log in our own eyes. We, 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 we've, we've no doubt done this. I have. You see, if God, as, as we're reading here, if God treats you the same way with the same level that you judge others, then what hope do you have? I mean, we, we can't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards for us. And here's the crazy thing, by the way, just taking no prisoners this morning. Um, did you know you can be judgmental about people's judgmentalism? Because you can. You know, you can be a Pharisee about people being Pharisees. You can look down your nose at people who look down their noses. It's mad. Especially, I think, if you have been judged yourself, if you've been treated unfairly, if you've been torn down by, you know, nitpicky critics, what might happen in your heart is that you might start turning and start becoming judgmental about them. And you say to yourself, whether out loud or, you know, just subconsciously, you might say, I, I would never act like that. I could never be so ungodly. I could never be so hypocritical. You might be right, but can you see what can start to happen? What can start going on in your heart, you can start to turn. And you can start mis misrepresenting those who've misrepresented you. You can start making yourself a victim, start building yourself up in the process. We can all do it. You can start judging those who've been judgy towards you. And so it goes on, it can just spiral. So how do we get out of this? How do we stop it? How do we be humble? How do we get this power to be humble? I mean, the, the, the Christian gospel, the, you know, the, the good news is this. God does not judge you as you have judged others. Ultimately, he acts towards you in mercy and kindness and love when you do not deserve it. The gospel is not that God turns a blind eye to your mess and just allows you to carry on your merry way. The gospel is that Jesus was judged by God for your judgmentalism in whatever form it takes, okay? Whether it's your religious games, whether it's your self-righteousness, whether it's your takedowns of other people, whether it's the way you puff yourself up, whether it's your superiority complex, whether it's thinking you're morally better than another person or race or type of person, whether it's that judgmentalism that you have used to tear down or not build up, the judgmentalism that destroys community rather than constructs it, God looks on Jesus and pardons you. That's the gospel. Jesus was judged for your judgmentalism, your failure, your faults, the log, the speck. That's what the cross was for. And the cross was the only way that you could be forgiven. And God's justice, the sword of God's justice fell on Jesus and you get to go free. And so when you see that and when you, when you understand the good news of the good news, you say to yourself, how can I ever look down on someone whom God loves? Someone who's a fallen sinner just like me and yet someone whom 
for whom God has given his only son. How can I stand over them in judgment? Who am I? So when you understand the gospel and see what Jesus has done for you, it will remove within you this sense of pride. You'll say to yourself, I needed Christ to die for my failures. What does that make me? And so it humbles me. And if I feel myself getting all sort of uppity and judgy again, I just remember that we have to remember that gospel again. It humbles you and it allows you to then start helping others. That's how you get the power to be humble, to remove the log from your own eye before helping your brother or sister. God removed that log for you in sending his son. And so now, when you understand that, you can help others with the speck in their eyes. So be humble before you start helping. Thirdly and finally, it's a shorter one, use discernment as you dialogue. Verse 6 is kind of weird. It's a bit odd. Um, Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. How is this in any way connected to what we've just been learning about in verses 1 to 5? It's a good question. Uh, and I think, I think we can start to understand it if we examine uh, some, of the, some of the details here. Who are the dogs? Who are the pigs that Jesus is referring to? Sounds quite judgy, doesn't it? Who are the dogs? The dogs, um, in, 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 to his original hearers, would not be thinking initially of cute pets, you know, that we love and bring into our homes and, 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 and uh, give them lots of treats and all the rest of it. Dogs, in, in his context, would have been dirty scavengers. They would have been pests. They were unclean, just rooting around, eating rubbish. No one wanted a dog. No one kept a dog uh, for that purpose. Pigs, likewise, are dirty and unclean animals for the first century Jew. Uh, they were told that they should not be eating uh, pigs. They were sort of ceremonially unclean. They were forbidden from, from them. Um, and so, so that's, that's something about what those two terms mean. But the warning here that Jesus gives us in verse 6 is, is, is do not give the holy thing, that which is holy. Do not give the pearls to, to these, these people, these, these uh, represented by these animals. Um, because whatever it is we're giving, they, are, they, they misunderstand it, they think it's food, they, you know, they, they realize that it's not what they wanted, and then they turn, they trample, they become aggressive. So who are these pigs and dogs that Jesus is talking about? Well, let's just say um, they're not disciples of Jesus. Anyway, that's for sure. Um, they're, they're not fellow believers in Jesus. They're not people you know, ordinarily you'd find in the church. Neither are they outsiders or unbelievers in general. Um, but the key comes when we understand what it is they have been offered. Um, a little later on in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 13, uh, 45 and 46, you'll see it here. Um, Jesus gives this little parable. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in, term, in search of fine pearls, who on finding a pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. So there Jesus is confirmed. Con- 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 um, uh, it, it, yeah, is teaching that the kingdom of heaven is like a, a pearl of great value, a precious item. Uh, and for Matthew, uh, the thing of, of, of most value, the most precious item is the kingdom of God. It's something he emphasizes throughout his, his gospel account. Um, and so when we start to understand that, we're starting to see dogs and pigs, and according to Jesus' teaching here, are those who've been offered the kingdom, they've been told the gospel, Um, And yet they are those who reject it, who turn against it, 
who trample over it uh, into the ground, who grow violent or grow aggressive against you when you try and bring the good news to them. Such people, says Jesus, should not be continually offered the kingdom. You shouldn't, shouldn't give it to them anymore. Don't keep proclaiming the gospel to them because it does you harm and it brings disrepute to the gospel. They'll trample it into the ground. Don't do that to this precious thing, to the kingdom of God. It sounds harsh, doesn't it? It sounds judgmental based on what we've just been saying. But Jesus is saying, use discernment as you dialogue with people. And for example, we see this elsewhere. It's not the only place where Jesus talks like this. Uh, in Mark 6, for example, he's sending out his 12 apostles to various towns in the area, and, uh, and off they go. And uh, he, he says to them, uh, if in any place they will not receive you and will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. It seems to be that in Jesus' mind, there are occasions when people simply will not receive the good news of Jesus. They will not be open to the kingdom of God. They will reject it. So don't keep on. Don't keep pushing. He says that you have to come to the realization one day that you turn around metaphorically shake you know shake off the dust to show that you are leaving everything about that town to their own devices they've heard they've rejected so we move on and we see this again you know with the apostles you don't need to, you can look it up later acts 13 acts 18 for example you know various cities or towns where where the good news is is, is trampled on it's rejected the kingdom's not re- received the apostles it says shake off the dust or or, or whatever, and then they move on. They move to the next place. So what's Jesus saying here in, in these verses? How do they tie together? In verses 1 through 5, he's saying, don't be judgmental. But in verse 6, he's saying, don't be stupid. Okay, he says in verses 1 to 5, be on guard against a critical spirit. But in verse 6, he's saying, be on guard against being unwise or being gullible. Or, or stated positively, he's saying, be humble towards others, yes, but be wise as you speak to them. Use discernment as you dialogue. He says there's no point in pushing the gospel on a person who is aggressively against it. Be humble, yes, but be discerning. In fact, in Matthew 10, uh, again, another section, he says to his disciples, um, it's coming up on the screen. There it is, Matthew 10. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So there we have it again. Same uh, idea, different language. Be wise in the way that you go about bringing the gospel and yet be humble in the way that you go. Speak the truth in love, yes, but also speak it with wisdom. Use discernment as you dialogue. So sometimes you may find that it is necessary to withdraw from someone who aggressively resists the gospel. Sometimes we faithfully persist you know, we gently reason, we, we serve, we love, we care in the hope that they may, may see the salt and light and, and may come to know God. That's what we want. And yet, sometimes we need to back off and, 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 and move on. And we need wisdom, don't we, to decide which, which one to do. And that's why we have life together. That's why 
we're in this series because you need to know that you're not alone in this. So there's no need for you to feel afraid or, or daunted by Jesus' teaching here. Whether you're dealing with a speck or a log, whether you're dealing with judgmentalism or a lack of discernment, you're not alone. We, 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 we do this together. We walk this out as community. We, 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 we walk alongside, especially those in, our, in, our, in the, you know, the gift in our community, those who are wise and mature believers around us. They can help us see the speck or the log. We can help one another as we discern whether to pull back from gospel efforts or whether to push forward and persevere. And that's something that we get from life together. It's really hard on your own. It's clear, isn't it, that we've had challenges as a church over the last few months. But I think this is relevant teaching. It's not easy to give, as you can probably imagine, but... I think also there are opportunities before us. All is not lost. Opportunities to advance the gospel, to, to, to break new ground, as, as odd and unusual as that may feel right now. But that's why we're spending time, isn't it? Listening to God, coming under his words, discerning his call. And I think, I think we take these words of Jesus to heart and we, we, we try and discern the openness of the gospel in our town, in our area, wherever that may be. And we're asking the Holy Spirit, aren't we, to confirm our next steps and say, Lord, is there, is there an open door here? Are these people open or hungry for the gospel? And as we do that, as we pray that prayer, we're asking him to help us speak the truth in love, but also with wisdom. Amen. Let's pray.